Welcome back to episode 132 of the Woman of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to chat all things Marvel and more. This is Judy Stevens, producer. Today, I'm bringing you another science episode. I think it's been a while since we had someone science-y on the podcast, and I'm very excited to introduce everyone to Summer Ash. Hello. I'm happy to represent science. Science. So, we ended up meeting at the taping of uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's uh, show on National, it's National Geographic, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Geo Channel. And uh, you were, I, we had gone to the taping, and I was sitting there, and they were like, this time topic is all about women in science. And I was like, what? I'm so excited. I didn't know what the taping was. <laughs> and I spent the entire episode, I think, nodding. Like, in the front row. If you, like, go and watch that, you can see my little pink head nodding, like, the entire way. And I was so excited to sort of, like, try and talk to you at the end of it because women in science is very similar to women in comics. Absolutely. Yeah. We need more women everywhere. Yeah. Representing. So, why don't we talk a little bit about, like, what you do. So, first and foremost, you are the outreach at Columbia University for yeah. astronomy. I'm the director of outreach for the astronomy department. Um, it's not that big a department, but it, outreach is really part of the culture, which I think is great and kind of unique, but it's changing uh, across academia now. But the program that I sort of inherited was started by grad students. Um, they really got a lot of momentum up and going, uh, and the department realized that this was a good thing for everyone involved. So they created a position, um, and I started doing that five years ago now. Wow. Which is crazy. Five and a half. So what does outreach mean? Like, are you just, like, getting on Twitter and Facebook and talking about science, or...? Yeah, mostly, I think, for me, outreach just means connecting people to science, or science outreach, at least. You can do that many different ways. So we have public programs for the general public, um, which I don't really like the term general public. I just had a conversation about this recently. So just the public, because that just includes everybody, anybody who wants to come. So we have free events for all ages, no reservations required, and they're talks, uh, half hour talks and hour and a half stargazing on the roof, which is fantastic. Um, and those, so those events are self-selecting, though. The people that are interested will be the ones that come. Yeah. But we also like to do things where we catch different audiences. So we take telescopes out on the sidewalk in Harlem and just catch passersby. So we don't advertise it. Um, we just take telescopes um, on a night when we know it's clear. You can see the moon, maybe a couple planets. Um, and, you know, a telescope on the street will make people stop and say, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> So that's a chance to start conversations about astronomy and science and research at Columbia, et cetera. Um, we also have schools that, that contact us and want to know more about astronomy and they want to meet astronomers. So they come to the department and grad students will do a little talk at Q&A, give them a tour of the observatory, um, all sorts of things. That sounds like fun. I want to tour the observatory. Come on over. <laughs> do that. I have the keys. Woo. Um, we even started, what's really exciting is word of mouth of our programs has sort of spread. Uh, and we've partnered with cultural institutions in the city to bring stargazing and or astronomers to events that are just sort of science adjacent or relate to something celestial. Um, we've done partnerships with BAM for five years in a row. Uh, going with Shakespeare, constellation myths, um, a music album that was themed about the planets, 
things like that. And that's another non, non-self-selecting audience that's really fun to interact with. That sounds amazing. I mean, I think that that's now with the internet and just outreach, I feel like more people are interested in things outside of their normal like box mm-hmm. and thinking about things that would be fun, especially something like science, which, you know, I've talked about this in the podcast. There's definitely this sort of like a thought process when you're in high school or grade school, how science is hard and math is hard and trying to get out of that. And also like when you're an adult, you know, just because you don't have a computer science degree or, you know, a a fancy degree, you can still be interested in science without knowing the intricate details of specific said science. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's huge. That's a really good point because, first of all, sometimes astrophysics scares people. That word scares people. Um, There's an astronomy joke that's sort of, or a joke in the field that says if you're on a plane and and the person next to you asks you what you do, if you don't want to talk, you say you're an astrophysicist. (laughs) And if you do, you say you're an astronomer. Because it's a less scary word, um, even though they're both just studying the universe around us. Um, But I think it's a really good point that these things don't aren't scary. They shouldn't be scary, and they shouldn't scare anyone of any age. So it doesn't matter what stage of your life you're in. Um, you can still appreciate, um, connect with, and interact with science. Um, and you don't exactly have to know calculus. You don't have to know general relativity. Um, you know, science is just asking questions and finding the answers. Yes. If and what, like, yeah. I still remember my science experiments where I had to put together the hypothesis. But, and the, the good thing at the nowadays with science when you're an adult is there's no tests anymore. Yes, <laughs> I think that's good. Because, and the tests that we all grew up with um, are so not designed to really test our understanding. They're just testing our retention of things. And so I think the other thing that's really fun to do with the outreach is to show people that the science that is done in the world is so, I guess, not radically different, but it's so extrapolated from the science that you just learned that's the facts in your textbook and the experiments that you run in high school. You know, that stuff doesn't always seem as exciting, but it's also, that's just the basis for what everybody does for their careers in science is so much more than that. Um, And so to sort of show the spectrum of what science entails. And also relatability, like nowadays with like the Mars rover and, you know, the rockets and all these things using, taking like, you know, those, those specific details in science you may vaguely remember in college or high school, they're now relatable in that instance. And you can know about said Mars rover, you can follow it on Twitter, but you don't need to know how the science of it all works. And that's amazing. I love following it on Twitter. Yeah, I do love Twitter. So there actually is a huge, amazing science and science communication community on Twitter and I feel like I know so much more about other cool science that's out there from those people and I love it like it's addicting and I love that so many inanimate inanimate objects that are related to science are tweeting like the Mars rovers (laughs) the Cassini spacecraft the Juno spacecraft the Voyager spacecraft um I think for a while, the big, big blue whale at AMNH was tweeting. Oh, really? I think it's dormant at the moment, but I mean, that needs to come back. I mean, and I guess that's not, yeah, that is an inanimate object. Just kidding. Because <laughs> I mean, it's not it, alive. It as was, much as I want it to be. I mean, there's probably one alive somewhere in yeah. the ocean. Yeah. 
but not that exact one. Yeah, but I think that's a great sort of tool too. Yeah, when those accounts tweet and interact. Yeah, definitely. When you run a a blog called Startorialist, which is all like fashion and fun and space. Mm -hmm. Science and uh, astronomy related fashion. Although it's so not limited to fashion because it's just exploded into things like that you can get your furniture upholstered in space or you can get your car decaled in space Um, or you know there's home decor items there's makeup items there's shot glass items there's everything so it's it's so much more than fashion so just to say that it's not just for uh, um, what's the word fashion obsessed people yeah I mean and we are fashion obsessed but we're also space obsessed yeah I um, wore to the march this fanny pack, which for the record, I love fanny packs. Uh, I like them because when you're traveling a lot, you want something that's like easily accessible, but not bulky on you. And so Lorraine, who hosts uh, Thwip, got me a uh, fanny pack that is galaxy with cats. Nice. Space and cats. Space yes. and cats go together. Yes. Uh, like Chocolate and peanut butter. Yeah, totally easy. And people were like, is that a fanny pack? And I was like, oh my God, I love it so much. Because I've been talking about how I need it. And she knew exactly what thing to get. Love my galaxy. That's so, so perfect. I, had, I wore a galaxy fanny pack to an overnight walk that I did last, like six months ago. And it was perfect because I wanted space themed and... It was the perfect size to carry everything. <laughs> Yay, fanny packs. I have no idea where Lorraine got this fanny pack from, but it's yeah. amazing. The internet. Somewhere. So what's um, what's the site for your... Where can people find your blog with all the amazing uh, science fashion? So it's called startorialist.com. So if you've ever heard the word sartorial, we just put a little T in there <laughs> to make it space-related. <laughs> um, although two shout-outs I have to give. One is to my co-founder, Emily Rice. So she's also an astronomer in the city, um, and she's at CUNY Staten Island. And then Josh Peake, who was my former office mate, who's now an astronomer at Space Telescope Science Institute, he came up with the name. Oh. And we are forever grateful to him. That sounds like an amazing job. Yeah. Well, I wish it was a job. Right now, it's just a passion project. Oh, well, but that's all right. We, sh- I, we often do that when we should be doing our regular jobs. And I feel like that's what most of us do. Yeah. The internet. But it's another great outreach tool because what often happens to me, and it's so much fun, is I'll wear like a galaxy scarf, like I have one on now, and I'll go get a coffee and like the barista will be like, oh, that's a cool scarf. And I'll be like, oh, by the way, it's this galaxy and it was taken by this telescope and science is awesome <laughs> and comes to Columbia Outreach. Um, and usually it's like an awesome conversation starter. I will say that I own a lot of Galaxy pieces, and um, there's Black Milk who does the Galaxy print leggings and, sh- and dress. So I have a, I have like, I don't actually know what the Galaxies are, but I have the purple Galaxy dress, and I have the, or is it? No, I have, I have two different Galaxies, and I was wearing them at a convention, and someone was like, the Galaxies are on the wrong. Like that one is technically more north than that one, and I was like, <laughs> I had never thought about that before, but okay. <laughs> well, two things. One, there's no north in space. There's just a north in any individual image, so uh, you can invert them any which way you want. Yeah. I mean, I thought um, it was just a, I was like, it's I. It's a little pedantic. But yes. sometimes we do that on the blog too, just for fun. We're like, uh, technically, that planet is not that close to that other planet. <laughs> <laughs> Things like that. Um, but also, you should show us, send us pictures of your black milk stuff because our new superpower is literally recognizing galaxies. Oh. Kind of, it's kind of freaky. Emily's better at it than I am, but I think I'm catching up. 
I wish I wish I knew better about them, but there's just so many of them, and there there are, all, there's two trillion of them. <laughs> well, are they all named? You're though? excused. Not yet. Not yet. So we think that there's two trillion. This news just came out in the fall because up until then we sort of had the estimate of a hundred billion. Um, and it turns out that we think we're underestimating that by about um, 20, a factor of 20. <laughs> um, so those are, yeah, it's um, extrapolated from one image, the Hubble Ultra Deep Field, that shows us in one tiny area of the sky how many galaxies there are. And then we sort of think that we have reason to believe that the sky looks roughly the same in all directions. Um, and so you multiply that out and then account for what you might be missing in that picture. And it gets to tr- two trillion. That's... It's sort of, un, I can't process that. Yeah, that's okay. I don't think anyone can. <laughs> You're not alone. Just because I say the number doesn't mean I really come Understand. to terms with what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And every one of them has at least one star, if not multiple, hundreds. Yeah. By definition, galaxies roughly have 100 billion stars each. Oh, well then. So, okay. yeah. If it was just a couple stars, we would probably... They would be like rogue stars off on their own. And then if we're talking hundreds, even to thousands, maybe even tens of thousands, uh, you can find clusters, globular clusters, star clusters that would be groups that size. Wow. Science. Science. So sort of taking a step back, I'm really fascinated how you went from like, you know, you went and got your degree. What made you want to do more outreach per se than specifically like diving down into like working on papers or all that jazz? Well, so actually my path is a kind of a random walk, which is a scientific term about (laughs) bouncing all around until you get to your destination. So who knows where my final destination is, but I came through engineering first. So my undergrad degree is mechanical engineering. Okay. And then I worked in aerospace for a couple of years, and I absolutely loved that. And it was just sort of, um, I don't know if serendipity, because it was sad at the time. My project got canceled, but I was thinking about going back to school. So then um, I was sort of confronted with the decision um, that I was going to go back to school. And I did a general master's that was in space studies. And during that, I had the opportunity to intern in astronomy. And I went to the University of Hawaii Astronomy Department and got to go to Mauna Kea with a postdoc and use the telescopes there. And that convinced me that I wanted to study astronomy um, for real. It had always been an obsession of mine, and I just had self-educated, read books, watched shows, et cetera, et cetera. So I always loved looking up at the sky since I was like two. Um, But then I went to Cambridge to study it, and I was in radio astronomy, which is so looking at galaxies with radio telescopes. Okay. Um, You've seen contact? Yes. The dishes that she uses at the very beginning, it's the very large array in New Mexico. So radio telescopes look like giant satellite dishes. Got it. Um, And I did that for four plus years up to five probably cumulatively but I actually didn't finish my degree I had a couple health problems and then sort of chipped away at it and then ended up getting my dream job anyway at Columbia (laughs) and started finding that I really enjoyed the outreach and that I got what I wanted out of it I hadn't gone into it thinking I want a doctorate in astronomy it was more I want to learn this stuff and so I really got a great background in radio astronomy and I absolutely loved it but even while I was in it I I wasn't feeling like I could drive research forward I felt like I could participate in research but I thought I would be better served or of more use helping communicate people's research 
And so I love that because I don't have to stay in one little zone. Either. Yeah. I can get to talk about black holes. I can talk about galaxy simulations. I can talk about exoplanets. And so I, it's a blessing and a curse. I love variety. <laughs> That's pretty amazing because I think that what's really important in science is sometimes finding scientists to talk about what they talk about because they sometimes forget that all the big words that they use, maybe most people don't know. So trying to break it down for the, the, the common people, the common people, that's also a mean term, but like the, the, the people who don't know the specific terms in science. And I think that's an important role that you play to be able to be like, this is this, this science, but don't worry about the big words. Just remember, this is how it works, basically. Yeah, exactly. So there's ways to translate those words we call like jargon or, you know, field yeah. specific because every field of science has them. And you get so used to being in the field that you rattle them off without even thinking. And I did a workshop once where they specifically fo did a focus on what they called professional blind spots, which was using not even just jargon, but using words that get misinterpreted, um, like theory. So the Big Bang Theory and the theory of evolution, you know, theory in science is not just, oh, someone's idea. Yeah. It's a tested idea that has held up to many, many tests thus far. Yeah. And it can still be overturned, but until we find evidence that to the contrary, um, you know, all the evidence keeps supporting it. So yeah. we keep adhering to it. Well, that's important. I mean, I think we sort of have that problem in comics sometimes too, where there's you you start talking about like a comic event, and then you and then five minutes later, everyone around you is just staring at you blank, like blankly, and and that's the hard thing is trying to find a way to like you to get people still interested, in, you know, obviously not to like scare them away, but to get them still interested. And I think that that science lately has been really great about that because you know, especially like the idea of like black matter. Or like dark matter. Dark matter is you know you go to the new um, planetarium exhibit mm -hmm. with Neil deGrasse Tyson, and you know that is such a it's an idea that's so hard to break down because it's you can't see it. Yeah. But it's like what over seventy five percent, eighty percent of of the galaxy is is dark matter. Yeah. And his his conversation is it's like a short what fifteen minutes, and you left being like okay I get an understanding what it is, but now I want to learn more about what it means. Yeah. I think they do a really good job with that show. So everybody listening should totally go check out the dark universe because they they give some really good the power of um well, i guess not the power but what astronomy um what really helps astronomy is great visuals because a lot of the things are kind of hard to just explain with words and so they came up some really good visuals in that show to show you these effects that we notice that imply that there's more mass out there yeah, I, I think the also reason why I love I, I we, we go to the Natural History Museum a lot here in New York City. We have a great relationship with them. They're really amazing to us um, because they have not their science is, you know, their exhibits aren't just um, necessarily made for children of that idea, but they are good for children, but also great for an adults. So and I, I really like sort of thank them because they're the first outreach I had into science here at Marvel because through them we've been able to connect to multiple obviously you and um, we're trying to do something with uh, with more like we'd love to do something with the NASA or the space station I mean, we've actually done something with uh, we did this amazing patch with Rocket and Groot for the space station 
Uh, it's, That's amazing. Yeah. So we found out. That's we, right. I remember that. Yeah. Now. So like trying to do more with that because I think that that these two worlds, both science and comics, are interested a lot and and understanding because so much about comics is there's just comic science, which sometimes makes sense and sometimes doesn't make sense. Right. But understanding like is this possible? Yeah. And there's been TV shows that do that that talk about like the real superheroes and life. Like I'm using quotations like that guy who's like in India that has so much metal in his body that he can like like stick metal things to what? him yeah or the or like people that are so flexible that like they they like are like like Mr. Fantastic so they can stretch themselves yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's it's interesting using you know obviously superhero science is is fictional but how getting people into science through fiction sometimes is also a great thing because you know especially if you in high school, I just remember like hating math so much, and my father is a mathematician, and that's sort of the <laughs> irony of the situation. And I would ask him for help, and he would do the problem is solved in five pages instead of the one page I had to do. And so I definitely like walked away from science for a while. But then when I moved to New York and I saw how many access to science there was, I fell in love again. And I'm like one of the things is I love going traveling to places that I can see the stars. Because yes. in New York, you can't really see the stars. No, but one of the things that I like to to say to people is that you can if you just look up um, as long as you're outside of Midtown <laughs> um, it's surprising still to me what you can see um, I think partly I'm a little bit lucky as far as where I live in Queens because I have a full southern sky but even in the middle of Manhattan the I find that the first thing I do, and I don't know how long I've been doing this for, but as soon as I walk outside any building, the first thing I do is look up. It doesn't matter, day or night. And from at least up by Columbia, we also were above the park when we have a full southern sky. So we can see the whole ecliptic, which is where all the planets' orbits are, um, and where a lot of the familiar constellations are. And still surprising what you can see. And then when you add a decent telescope, even with light pollution, we can get a couple nebula. We can get the Andromeda galaxy on a good clear night. Um, so that's pretty exciting, I think. Yeah. Uh, the I've I've traveled all over the world, and the best place I ever saw the sky was in New Mexico. Yeah, um, about an hour outside of Albuquerque, I was at a wedding, and I we we were like went outside side of the wedding space, and someone was like look up, and I looked up, and it was the Milky Way, and I think I fell on my butt. Nice. <laughs> it was so. It That's was like awesome. it's one of those moments you're like I'm just a speck yeah. in time. Yeah. But this is beautiful. Yeah. But I like uh, to f the. To follow up on the spec thing, I like to flip it around because I think it's still kind of incredible that we are on this spec and we figured all this stuff out. Like we're finding ways to understand what else is out there from just being grounded on the spec. Yeah, understanding the science and and science in just the last like 150 years. Oh my God, it hasn't even been 100 years since we knew that we were one galaxy and there were other ones out there. Like how crazy is that? That's 1929. Yeah. And, and just like thinking about how much we've grown in the last, you know, like 10 years or 50 years. And my mother always talks about how she's like the three things that changed human civilization. I've experienced them all, which is the car, the telephone and the Internet. Wow. And it's that's kind of crazy to think about. Yeah that like and who knows what f you kids at home future things you're going to develop maybe robots yeah exactly. AI <laughs> yeah 
Just don't don't make them mean robots. Yes. Let's not be mean to the robots. <laughs> Let's follow those three laws. <laughs> we've, we've written enough movies where robots take over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, well, okay. Um, I want to thank you for joining us. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. Um, where can people find you on the Twitters and the internets? So, on the internets, just summerash.com. And on Twitter, summer underscore ash. Oh, yeah, the underscores. The underscore will get you. Yeah, <laughs> but, I've, I have two of them. Don't worry. Yeah. If you find me, uh, you'll know because it's, it's my name on there is MC Stardust. Oh. <laughs> and my avatar is Scully. Oh, appropriate. <laughs> Very appropriate. Well, um, thank you again. Thank you so much. Okay, we'll check you guys later. This is Marvel, your universe. Oh,